The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from this world to the Father. He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. The devil had already induced Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, to hand him over. So during supper, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, he rose from supper and took off his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Master, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, Unless I wash you, you will have no inheritance with me. Simon Peter said to him, Master, then not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus said to him, Whoever has bathed has no need except to have his feet washed, for he is clean all over. So you are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet, he put his garments back on and reclined at table again. He said to them, Do you realize what I have done for you? You call me teacher and master, rightly so, for indeed I am. If I, therefore the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do. The Gospel of the Lord. Today is the Lord's Supper. And in the uh, Roman Missal, which kind of gives instruction about how to, how to do the Mass tonight, which, as you've already noticed, is a little bit different and will get even more different, one of the instructions is that after the proclamation of the Gospel, the priest gives a homily which light is shed on the principal mysteries of their commemorated at this Mass, namely the institution of Holy Eucharist and of the priestly order, and the commandment of the Lord concerning fraternal charity. And so we can be here for the next three hours. Um, or we'll, try to, we'll try to unpack some of that. Uh, but certainly, um, th- there's a lot more there than what we can say or even take on. I love those statements about Jesus. You know, uh, you don't, you don't under, do you realize what I've done for you? Do you realize what we're doing here? And we can say, honestly... Yeah, but no. <laughs> like, we understand maybe the outward signs. We understand maybe what's supposed to happen. We understand the Eucharist, but we don't understand the Lord's Supper in the fullness. We understand that the Lord's Supper is like His Last Supper, right? Before, before He dies. But do we understand what was instituted? Do we understand all the complexities of it? And I would say, no, we don't. Right? 
There's a lot more there than we, what we can just get at first glance. Of course, the most obvious kind of thing that, that we want to be able to shed light on that the Eucharist is, is the way that it is the fulfillment of what is within the past. And so we have the first reading which throughout the entire year, except for the Easter season, we have an Old Testament reading. And the Old Testament reading is supposed to shed light specifically on the Gospel and the way that the Gospel kind of fulfills or the way that the prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus and the New Testament. Today we hear from the Old Testament specifically about the Passover, right? We hear that a, a year-old male without blemish is supposed to be taken. And this is supposed to be, you know, kind of a, a lamb at its prime, without blemish. And Jesus is also pointed out at the beginning of his lit ministry as the Lamb of God, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's also found without blemish in multiple ways, right? Pilate at the, la- at, at the, you know, at the jury says, I find, I find this man not guilty, right? I find no issue with this man without blemish. And he's slaughtered during the evening twilight. That Jesus himself would have been slaughtered, crucified, at the same time that the lambs would have been slaughtered in the temple in preparation for the Passover. We see that blood, and you're supposed to apply the blood to two doorposts. Well, we realize, well, what are, what are those doorposts, right? Certainly the, the blood and the lintels. But we also understand within the Eucharist that the blood, our doorposts to ourselves are also our lips. And that when we receive the Eucharist, we receive the blood of Christ, which goes on our doorpost, right? The fulfillment of what was done, the, the doorpost into ourselves, into our heart. And we shall eat the roasted flesh. So important for a sacrifice that we eat. Uh, a lot of the sacrificial, the Old Testament is, although kind of obscure, is fulfilled and needs to uh, continue to be done in different ways. So interesting enough for, for a sacrifice to be valid, for in order for a sacrifice to truly take place, there actually has to be some meat that is consumed. It's one of the reasons why a priest consumes first the Eucharist is so that we make sure that the sacrament, the sacrifice, is valid because the priest who's offering the sacrifice needs to consume part of that. We go on and we kind of say, well, sometimes we get accused of within the Eucharist that it's kind of just... We're continuing um, at times just the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is done. Jesus came and instituted the New Testament. So why do we have the priesthood? Why do we still have sacrifice? Wasn't Jesus' sacrifice enough? Well, we see in the second reading the way that the early Christian community understood this, understood this Eucharist and how important it was. The second letter, or the the second reading, which is St. Paul to the Corinthians, talks and is actually one of the oldest recorded written accounts of the Eucharist, of the Mass. Where St. Paul, who himself wasn't at the Last Supper, writes about the Last Supper. He writes about it in 56 AD, about 25 years, 20-25 years after Jesus' death. And he writes 
not as somebody who's instituting something new, but as somebody who right, was converted to the faith, experienced the faith, and was living in the early Christian community and then evangelizing. And he says, I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, right? That he received from the Lord. How? He didn't know Jesus. How did he receive it from the Lord? Well, he received it from other Christians. And what did he receive from other Christians? He said that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was handed over, right, tonight, he took bread, and after giving thanks, broke it and said, this is my body. Amazing. That St. That Paul would find it so important to write about this ceremony and use those very words, right? These aren't something that is created in the early church or created later. This is the earliest recorded accounts of Christian life and living, is the institution of the Eucharist. That right away, the Christian community understood how important the Eucharist was. This is my body. This cup is the new covenant of my blood. And... During the mystery of faith, we often say this next line that St. Paul says in kind of pulling it all together. When you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until He comes again. You should recognize that line. We say that all the time in Mass. Not during Lent, but often during all the other time, we say that line. Why? Because that reminds us and roots us in St. Paul, in the institution of the Eucharist. But we can say... But with the Eucharist today, what does it really mean? I think one thing that uh, attacks the Eucharist in one of the greatest ways, the great gift that it is, um, is the priesthood. The priesthood this year, as you all know, has been dragged through the dirt, right? Rightfully so in many ways, right? Many priests have not lived up uh, to what they were ordained to do. And so what do we do as Christians? What do we do as Catholics? How do we still encounter the Eucharist? How do we still encounter Jesus Christ if the people who are ordained to, be, to act as Jesus Christ at the Last Supper aren't fulfilling? Well, this isn't a, a new problem in the church. I just let you know. And it, maybe the sexual abuse and the crisis that it is today is, is new to a certain way in the fact that it's, it's kind of... Our, uh, um, the way that it's manifested now. But certainly, unfortunately, clerical abuses, clerical laxity has always been a part of the church, but yet somehow the church continues in spite of it. In the early church, this was also one of the problems. In the 300s, in the late 300s, there was a specifically severe persecution in northern Africa. And many bishops and priests denied the faith so that they wouldn't be killed. And when so many Christian faithful and so many other priests were killed and were taken to the salt mines, tortured, maimed, and these other priests, you know, they just denied the faith and just kind of walked away. Well, once the persecution ended, the bishop, specifically one bishop that this controversy comes over, comes back and says, hey, I'm still the bishop, even though that I denied Christ. You know, I was ordained for it. So, so now I'm going to be bishop again now that it's better. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, hey, you just denied Jesus Christ. Like, you no longer have a right to be bishop, right? You no longer have any authority in that way because you, right, 
sinned very gravely. However, in the early church, this was severely, you know, debated. And there was a group that was called the Donatists. And they said, right, that once the bishop fails, once he mortally sins, right, the sacraments are only valid if a priest is in the state of grace. The sacraments are only valid and only work if you have a holy priest. They only work if you have a holy bishop. And the church, debating this and coming to a greater understanding in the 300s, condemned that Donatist heresy. And what it says is that this priesthood is not about the individual priest. The priest certainly acts in many ways and its personality can come out. But it's the sacraments that the priest does are not valid because of my holiness. They're valid because Christ works through me in spite of me. In spite of the priest. The sacraments work. And one of the great things about that is it's a great difficulty, right? Because certainly you want holy priests, right? The church is not saying like, oh, it doesn't matter. The priest can do whatever. No, no, no. The priests should be holy and rightfully so should be always held to a higher standard. But we also want to know that Christ is working even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of difficulty, and that your reception of grace is not contingent on whether the priest is holy, whether the priest can give a good homily, whether he interacts with people in a great way, whether he has the right personality to connect with you. It doesn't matter. Because if he is ordained, and if he acts in accordance with the church and the prescriptions of the church, that we can be for sure, we can be certain, have certain faith that the sacraments take place, and that the Eucharist does take place, and that Jesus Christ truly acts because it's Him who acts in spite of the priest, even a holy priest. We call this operation ex opere operato, okay? It's a Latin phrase that means by operation of what happens, it happens, okay? So if a priest takes bread and wine and is a validly ordained priest and says the words of consecration according and with the intention of the church, the Eucharist takes place. And we're grateful for that because otherwise we put everything in doubt, right? Was that priest holy enough? Was that priest, you know, was that the right priest? Was that Eucharist, you know, I got a lot more out of this Mass because the priest preached well. Oh, I didn't like, I don't like that priest, so I don't, you know, I don't like to go to that Mass. Or I can't understand that Indian priest with his, his speech, so it's not really a good Mass. No, 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 it's a good Mass because Christ shows up. It's a sacrament of grace. It's a mass of grace because of the sacrament that Christ instituted in the Eucharist and that He acts. The priest certainly is an important figure and I want you to continue to hold myself, specifically, to a higher standard, right? Call me out, right? I'm supposed to be acting in the person of Christ at all times, right? And I can't just do whatever I want. And that's true for all priests but also to know that the sacraments are valid. They do work. That Christ is working in the church. That there are good priests, just as there are bad priests. And what's the prime example? Judas. Judas today we hear was 
ordained a priest with the washing of the feet. That Jesus knew that he was going to betray him, but yet he continued to give him that, that free will that maybe he would turn back, right? He knew that Judas, who Judas was, but yet he still ordained him a priest. Still, if Judas would have celebrated the sacraments, they would have been valid. Of course, it didn't work out that way, right? We understand that there were people who betrayed Christ even at the beginning. We think of Jesus, right? He's got to be the best. He's got to make the right choices. Did he make the right choice with Judas? In some ways we would say no. In some ways we would say yes, right? Jesus can't make mistakes. And he instituted even Judas as a priest. The first, right? The first, first priest scandal. But yet the church continued. The church persevered not because of the priesthood, because of Jesus Christ. And we come here to act in that person of Christ, to certainly be aware of the institution of the priesthood and the way that the priesthood acts, but also of the universal priesthood. The priesthood that we're all called to offer sacrifice to Jesus Christ. We're all called to act as servants as Him. Today, I'll give you that example. I'll stand in the person of Christ, not only in the Eucharist, but also in the washing of the feet. And to give you that example, once again, of service. That certainly priests have a certain authority, and the Pope, of course, has, has all the authority, right, in the church. But yet the Pope is also the servant of the servants. The Pope only has the authority because he serves in everything. And so may we also recognize that the church isn't about power or what kind of authority we have, but ultimately is about charity and service, and we see that by Christ's action in his last. I'd like to offer one last point to this long homily and this long mass. It's going to be a long mass. It's Holy Thursday. But we want to understand that this sacrifice of charity, this sacrifice of service, begins the passion of Jesus Christ. That Jesus' passion and His death and His grace that He won for us on the cross not only happens at the crucifixion, when He's nailed to the cross and He's dying, but also when He lays down His will, which begins with the washing of the feet and continues His hour at the Last Supper when He freely lays down His life and says, this is my body, this is my blood given up for you. We need to understand that the Eucharist, the Mass, is always a participation in the Passion of Christ. That the grace won by Jesus Christ was not just by the physical suffering of Jesus Christ, but was by the suffering won by laying down His will. And that's one of the greatest things that we do in charity and love is laying down our will and uniting to that passion of Jesus Christ, which we participate in every Mass. And so may we lay down our will as well. May we participate in that passion of Jesus Christ which although is perfect in intensity and could not be any more perfect, is lacking in extension, is lacking in our participation. And so may we engage in that participation this day.